And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Outoflimitsradio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. So, if you listen to the show, you probably have this affirmation. I imagine 90% of our listeners are probably thinking the same thing. This is my last time on Earth. This is my last life incarnation as a human. That's it. I've had it. This place is too crazy. Yeah. Well, I'd say it is. And I don't necessarily know if it's because people are enlightened or you're from a different place in the universe. Maybe you're you're an alien having a human experience. But I, it may have to do with the fact that you're in touch with your spirit. And your infinite spirit is aware that the human body is one of many incarnations. And uh, it's a tough suit to wear. Uh, no, no doubt. Especially because you have to deal with the other humans. And the other humans lately, you know, they're out of their minds. So we bring back to the show tonight Nancy Dennison, who had the profound after-death experience. This will make her 11th appearance on the show. And she's going to provide insight based on her near-death experience as to why things are happening on Earth right now. She'll give us a greater insight into humans as she perceived human beings to be in the afterlife. And her conversations with God or Source, you want to call it that, but... Uh, this is definitely a deeper uh, conversation, and let us begin tonight's show. Joining us now, making her 11th appearance on the Outer Limits of Inner Truth, is Nancy L. Danison, J.D. Oh my goodness, so much to say about Nancy. She had an amazing after-death experience, and feel free to listen to the first 10 shows and interviews we did with her because they're all, I think, amazing and groundbreaking. You can learn more about Nancy by going to her website at backwardsbooks.com. You can also go to nancydanison.com, N-A-N-C-I-Danison.com. Ms. Danison, welcome back to our show. How are you? Well, I'm great. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Thank you. And it's like the demand is so high. Every time we do an interview with you, everyone's like, when is she going to come back? So you're probably the most requested guest we've had on our show. So you earned that uh, distinctive title. (laughs) I'm amazed. Thank you. All right. So, Nancy, we're looking at the world right now. Um, All right. In our previous conversations, you've said that humans are animals. And I guess we've got a spirit that we can kind of control the animals. But do you think that humans are more if they don't control that spirit are they more innately inclined for self-destruction destruction are the humans like designed to self-destruct because it looks like a trajectory of where things are right now it's either like total control of the population by a small number of people or total annihilation or destruction of humanity i don't know i how do you f- see it and feel about it humans like all animals are driven to survive that's their 
sole imperative in life. And so they're not knowingly or intentionally self-destructive, but what happens is they become addicted to all kinds of things. So if you're addicted to, you know, drugs, you know, Oxycontin or, you know, meth or something like that, that can destroy the body. If you're addicted to alcohol, that can destroy the body. And these things also destroy, you know, the the lifestyle, the family life, you know, everything about a person's life. Same with overeating or, you know, any of the, the known addictions. But what people don't realize is that humans can also become addicted to emotions and power. So there are, you know, certain people among us who are addicted to anger and they will express anger as their primary expression of life. There are people among us who are so addicted to power that they will do anything and everything to get and keep power. And those addictions are very strong driving forces as well. And they can and sometimes do overtake the survival instinct and destroy the human with the addiction. Okay. I'm really glad you said that because I wonder if collective humanity right now is in a death spiral with addiction. And I was doing some research yesterday and I found out that at least in the U.S. alone, each year $732 billion is spent on defense and preparations for war. The worldwide pharmaceutical industry makes $1.9 trillion a year. That's at least from 2019. And I'm not sure how much weight loss industry makes, but I'm sure there's a lot of money to be made there. And I bring those three industries to your attention because it doesn't seem like it's very profitable for the war-making industry to have peace. It wouldn't seem very profitable to a pharmaceutical industry if, let's say, a majority of people were utilizing alternative ways to heal themselves. Or like, say, for example, if you had a cold and you didn't take an aspirin all the time, or if you had something and you you, you went about a natural way of doing things. And then if you have the weight loss industry where instead of going on these expensive programs, you just ate differently. So with all this money and power tied up in these various industries, it doesn't seem like there's a genuine incentive, monetarily speaking, for these types of humans to be doing the right thing for their fellow humans, which is to maybe let them do the best way possible. When when you see those forces like that, does humanity really have a chance if that is the driving force? If there's so much money tied up in one particular thing and, and so many people are obsessed with making money, does that mean humans are, are never going to get a chance to kind of experience what it's like to live under that shadow? Or is this something that we're doomed to? Are we going to continue down this path where it's just going to be whatever is good, whatever people can make money on, and, that, and that's it? No, I don't think the human race is doomed by corporate greed. I think there are many people who are sort of doomed by their own greed and their own self-absorption, according to the information that I was given about humans in the afterlife. 
But I was also given the information that, you know, we souls incarnated into these humans have the ability to take control and change their behavior. So there's always hope. You know, we can always hope that the soul inside will wake up and say, what the heck has this body been doing? (laughs) And, you know, let's get out of this hole that we're in and start acting uh, from unconditional love, from a better frame of mind in terms of living in society with other people, you know, doing what's right for the most people, not just number one, the self. So, no, I don't think humans are doomed. I do think that our society, humans slash souls, has to wake up and start taking stock of, you know, where our society is headed and decide, is that the path we really want to follow? Thank you. And when it comes to society taking a path that some people want to follow, I do want to ask, how can, if you look in society and you see that a majority of people or majority of humans are acting a, a particular way, and you disagree with the way they're acting, and you're saying, you know what, there's something wrong about this, there's something not right about this, and you decide that you want to stand up against that or stand against that, and they roll you over. It, is it by you deciding that I'm trying to figure out are the people in society that are acting a certain way do they have more spirit in them or do you have more spirit in you how do you know who's particularly right Who who's actually got the upper hand who's who's acting more like the human who's acting more like the the individual that is more in touch with their spirit well no one has more spirit in them than another person I mean we souls are part of source there's no quantifiable amount of soul within anybody. Uh, but in terms of standing up to what you see people acting like that you, with which you disagree, that, that, in my opinion, based upon what I learned in the afterlife, takes a lot of soul willpower, takes a lot of strength and courage because most souls inside humans are not awake. They're not enlightened. They don't realize that they are separate from the body. They think they are the body. And animals, and I'm not denigrating humans when I call them animals. They, you know, I have a degree in anatomy and physiology and in zoology class, you know, we learned the various classifications of animals and humans are in the mammalian class. Uh, So, I mean, they are biologically animals, but as animals, humans will generally take the path of least resistance. They will act like animals. They will act like their innate character traits unless they take control of their own behavior or unless they're trained out of it. So it's the, the greater force or the greater... Yeah, I guess the greater force would be with those who are acting like animals because it's easy for them. You know, it's easy to not have any morals. It's easy to not have any concern for your fellow man. It's easy to just look out for number one. 
it's easy to, you know, be selfish and greedy. It's hard to stand up for principles. It's hard to stand up for the greater good. It's hard to stand up for your own beliefs and your own moral values and to fight against the tide. I do it every day. <laughs> so I, I know what I'm talking about. Um, but that the fact that it's hard doesn't mean it can't be done. And when you say that there are a lot of souls that are asleep within these human bodies, what are some of the ways that these souls can be woken up? Because before I ask you ask the answer to that question, there's a lot of uh, push in this, I call it the New Age movement. And I'm, I think more and more every day I'm standing more against that because I feel like they, they just want everything to be so easy. You know, everything's going to be fine and wonderful. And I, it seems that there's a semblance of a um, – it's like you go from religion to a new age, and it's like it seems like it's got a lot of the same principles, a lot of dogma in it. Uh, I, I guess people, they're saying, well, if you become new age, then you're, you're quote-unquote awakened. But what does it mean for a soul to awaken from your perspective? And do you think that the new age movement is essentially waking up, or is that just another part of another form of like man-made religion? When I – talk about souls waking up i'm referring to the the scheme of life that i learned about natural life which is that humans like the rest of the universe are manifestations contained in sources mind it's sources imagination thinking it's it's a little bit similar to how we have dreams in our own minds when when we're incarnated into humans so it's it's all within sources mind and then the souls, when I'm talking about souls, what I mean by that is the, the part of source's own self-awareness that it puts into incarnated matter. It could be anything. It could be humans. It could be anything. So that source can experience the physical world through, you know, the souls that it puts into incarnated matter. When I talk about being enlightened or waking up, it's waking up to the realization that you're not your body. You're not limited to animal behavior. You're not limited to what your body can and can't do. You're not limited to these ideas that you have in your head that, well, this is who I am. I can't change. You know, none of that's true. We have tremendous power to change our lives. We can manifest completely new lives for ourselves. We can live from unconditional love if we want to put in the effort. So, and to me, an awakened soul is one that realizes it's not human. And the only way I, I know to, to get into that state is kind of by accident. You know, you have to be on a spiritual journey and, and hit the right um, speaker or author or whatever that resonates with you that lets you become aware that, hey, you know, you're the soul inside the body, not the body. And in terms of the New Age movement, my understanding of that is that it's just more human thinking. It has nothing to do with the ultimate reality of eternal life as I learned it in the afterlife. Okay. Thank you.
So, I mean, you had a firsthand experience. I mean, you, you, you died. So you, you got a chance to experience what life was like outside the body and you know, see this incredible truth. How do people access? How can people who you know have grown up their whole lives and believe that they were human their whole lives? Like, how do they access this? I mean, what do, what needs to happen? Do they should they go on a fast? Should they meditate for a prolonged period of times? Should they I don't know zap themselves and do something? I don't know how can they have? What are some of the ways for them to come to the same conclusion that you have without actually physically dying? Well, I couldn't. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't get this information until <laughs> I was in the afterlife, you know, so I'm not really the person to ask about how you can do it. But my readers tell me that when they read my books, they go, oh, yeah, I knew that. You know, so it's not going to be anything that a body can do. It's not going to be a fast or being zapped with energy or, you know, anything like that. There's nothing a body can do to awaken the soul within to its acknowledgement of its existence. But the soul can seek out truth. And quite frankly, that's the reason I came back was to tell the truths of what I learned in the afterlife and in eternal life so that people could have that information. I thought it would be very comforting. It comforted me a lot to know that, you know, the beliefs that I had grown up with weren't true. They were created by humans for humans, and they didn't have anything to do with, with source God or the afterlife or eternal life or death or anything else. It was just humans projecting <laughs> their own experience onto spiritual life. And spiritual life isn't anything like human experience. So how can people access? The simple answer is you can meditate. And I don't mean meditate in terms of listening to music or listening to words telling you to go down this beautiful path. You know, you, the meditation I'm talking about is you sit in a chair. Well, you don't have to sit in a chair. You can lay down. You can be anywhere. But you stare at a blank wall with your eyes half closed or you actually close your eyes and you clear out all thoughts, all sensations. You make your mind a total blank. And when it's blank, you step back and you realize you're watching the mind and there's nothing in it. And then eventually a thought's going to enter the mind. And when you see that thought enter the mind, you are in the observer position and you go, oh, I just noticed that thought coming in. Well, if I'm the one standing back here noticing the thought, who's the one thinking it? And the answer to that is the soul is the one standing back observing. It's the human mind that's thinking the thought. If you can get yourself separated from the human mind like that, then you can access all the knowledge of the universe, all the knowledge within that's source. So cool. You can access answers to all of your questions. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to get, you know, a bookload of information. You may get a few sentences. But you, the more you do it, the more information you will get. And you'll know it's true. You'll feel the truth to it. 
Okay. You know, this is really amazing what you said because Dr. Stephen Greer, who is, uh, we've had on our show before, he's known as the father of the modern day uh, disclosure movement when it comes to UFOs. He's had a near death experience, after death experience, and he talks about being aware of awareness. And he described what he described as almost identical to the way he describes. I found that very fascinating. He also discussed that there was just one universal mind and that we're all points of attraction of consciousness in there. But when you are talking about meditation, does your brain, does a human brain need to be adjusted in terms of its frequency for how it processes information? Because they have, we've focused on this in the past about brainwave frequencies, alpha, beta, gamma, delta, delta being the lowest frequency. Apparently that's the, the, the brainwave frequency when a person is dreaming. And apparently you get some information on that. Should you adjust your human into a delta state in order to achieve the maximum gain from the meditation? Or does it not matter what state the human is? Does, can the this human body, um, if you, the human body is filled with food, if it's had a few drinks, I mean, does it, can you achieve that meditative state regardless of what condition the body's in? Yes, because the goal is to get the body out of the way. The meditation I'm talking about where you actually become aware of yourself as the soul inside the body, where you're stepping back and observing the human, that's has nothing to do with human brain. Human brain is biological. It, it runs the machinery. That's all it does. All of the personality, all the intelligence, all the creativity, all of the identity that we think of as ourselves is all in the soul. It's not in the body. All, all human animals have the same character traits. It's the eternal soul inside that has the, the uniqueness about it. And so the goal in trying to access information and to become enlightened and to manifest a better life for yourself and and to exercise all of our spiritual powers is to get the human (laughs) brain out of the way. I told some people that too, that you always tell people to get the human out of the way. And when you want to manifest something, is it a, like, do you you visualize something in your mind? Do Do you say, okay, like, I want something to happen. I'm going to visualize it. I'm going to feel it. I'm going to you know, put a lot of energy into it and then what meditate and then hopefully that it happens. Like how do you, do you do that? And does it require a, a degree of intensity? Like, do you have to want something for a prolonged period of time for it to happen? Or can you just want something with passion for a short period of time, get the human out of the way and know that it's probably going to manifest? Everything you just described is something a human would think works to manifest physical reality. (laughs) None of it works. You want to get the human out of the way. You don't want the human visualizing. You don't want it putting a lot of energy or passion or anything else or intensity into it because the human is incapable of manifesting physical reality for itself. Humans are manifestations. Only the soul can manifest events, circumstances, situations, things into a human life. And so you have to get into that, you know, observer. Okay, so 
if you get to the observer position, how do you know about this? Okay. Then you form, well, first, there there are two parts to manifesting. There's attention and intention. Attention is, um, now I'm talking right now, I'm talking about conscious manifesting. There, most human lives are the result of unconscious manifesting. For conscious manifesting, like if you want a specific thing, like Raya's, when I wanted to get <laughs> on coast to coast last time, I, yeah. you know, I talked to you about it. You know, I sent materials in to them. You know, I gave them the questions I, you know, was suggesting that they ask. You know, I did the legwork. That's the attention. And the body can be involved in the attention part because it's got to do the legwork. It's got to, you know, read stuff or figure stuff out or go places or, you know, it's, it's literally got to do the legwork. Then once you've gotten kind of the whole picture of what it is that you want, then you go into that observer mode and you step back from human, get the human mind out of the way and you create the intention to have the thing that it is that you're trying to manifest. Like you intend to have it. So like when I was trying to get on coast to coast, I was running around the house saying, I'm going to get on coast to coast (laughs) right now. I'm going to get on coast to coast right now. And it, it took two weeks of doing that, but I did get on. Now that was, well, I'm not going to look, but you know, I, I did some human it, sacrifices, chicken rituals, you know, some some up to a few days. But it worked, whatever it did. Oh, <laughs> no, they oh, love good. you over okay. there. Yeah. They love you. And uh, Well, thank you for that. I've been on this app lately. It's called Clubhouse. And you go in these rooms and people are talking. And I swear, every other room that's talking about metaphysics, everyone's talking about the vibration. I can feel your vibration. My vibration's high. And this, and I'm like scratching my head. I'm like, I don't want to hear anything more about vibrations. So just to re-clarify, if humans are acting in a certain way, do, do behaviors attract like-minded behaviors or does like-minded energy or thought attract like-minded thoughts or do do like-minded souls attract like-minded souls or is it basically kind of randomness that you're here and this is one of the possibilities that could happen the only thing that attracts in humans is hormones pheromones and hormones you know there's physical attraction sexual attraction no, humans do not have vibrations. Well, they do. Within Source's mind, all humans exist at a certain energy signature. It's not a vibration like we experience in human life. It's not a vibration like you can feel or see or any of that. that that's just a human way of expressing something that doesn't have really any language designed for it and you know in human experience so get the vibration (laughs) thing out of your out of your way there's no there's no attraction between like-minded people but like-minded people will collect because they have something in common you know they 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 resonate with one another in, in terms of their beliefs being the same they they like each other so people do tend to group when they're like-minded but 
there's no attraction going on. You know, it's not like a magnet pulling people together. It's that they find each other in chat rooms or apps or, you know, whatever. And they realize, <laughs> hey, this is somebody like me. So they hang together. Um, but that's the only attraction that, okay. that's going on. I asked you this question. It was some time ago. It was offline about people right now who stand for freedom, who want to fight for freedom, not only for themselves, but for others, for all. And when it comes to building alliances, can you physically reach, can you reach out to those who are no longer in their bodies that once stood for freedom? Like, can you, do you, can you reach out to humans that have gone before us that have fought for freedom and kind of galvanize and pull in their energy? Can you reach out to other animals or other species that are not human that stand for freedom and pull into your experience their energy, their frequency to galvanize reference. Well, first let's start with what's your definition of freedom? See, freedom mm -hmm. is part of a belief system. Every person has a different belief of what constitutes freedom. And they may have a different belief of what constitutes their own personal freedom versus what constitutes their family's freedom versus what constitutes their society's freedom versus what constitutes the entire world's freedom. So it's an amorphous term that, you know, maybe like-minded people will agree on a definition of freedom, but in general, everybody's going to have their own idea of, of what freedom means. And when it comes to building alliances, you know, it, it, it does happen. Like I, was mentioning before, you know, people who are like-minded find each other through, you know, various types of media or meeting in person or clubs or, you know, whatever. And they can form alliances to, you know, stand up for the freedom that they believe in. But in terms of reaching out to what I'm calling deceased freedom fighters or other animals, no, those once we leave human life and pass over into the eternal life, what humans call the afterlife, we're not human anymore. We're not like humans. We couldn't care less what's going on <laughs> on Earth. We couldn't care less about human beliefs and goals and, you know, fighting for freedom. I mean, you know, all of that is just. It has no more significance to us than the dreams you had last night has significance in your daily life today. You know, it's not even real to us once we leave human life. So I really can't imagine anybody in the afterlife wanting to lend their energy or add their energy to um, a particular human animal goal. Now, they will lend their energy and, you know, add their energy to intentions to achieve spiritual goals, but not animal goals. And animals don't have frequencies. You know, you can't tune in to somebody's frequency or some animal's frequency. It just doesn't exist. Okay, so it's uh, a real big question. That's a real big question to answer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know. I no, know it, it's wonderful. It, that's what that's what we love saying, having but, because you it's know, you know, people ask you questions and they ask average, and you, you know you're always going to get a unique a unique answer from you about this. So, if we are, yeah, sorry, but, I I know the the information that I'm giving is is different. You know, I it blew my mind when I was in the afterlife. I just, I mean, it literally took me seven years to accept it even though I was given it directly by source itself, I knew it was true. I lived it. I felt it. I, I knew it was true, but it was so different from everything I'd ever believed before. But I, once I was back in the body, I just, I couldn't accept it. So, you know, I'm always amazed when one of my readers writes to me and says, Oh, I read your book and it really resonated to me with me. And I thought, Wow, that was easy. You know, I spent seven years trying to get it to resonate with me. Um, but the most of what is out there in terms of spiritual information or religious information is the result of humans observing human life and assuming the spiritual life and that God are the same way humans are. Thank, thank not, goodness. Yeah, we always see like God as these old man in the sky and if i know anything about old men that just they're cranky and they got a lot of hair coming out of their ears i'm like really no <laughs> uh, that's it that's it i was describing myself right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if we're looking at uh, say for example sorry if we look at source and we say okay uh, humans and all things physical are manifestations within source's mind and if we look at take that one principle and then right. look at the world and say, okay, well, look, it seems like there's a lot of tyranny. What I was alluding to before about freedom is, is, the, is the freedom for, for all beings and creatures to live their lives and to be left alone, for them to live their lives without, without someone trying to harm them. So that's what I meant with freedom. If we look at the world and we see, okay, it seems to be a lot more tyranny happening. Like we see states, countries being completely shut down. And I don't think it's going to trend anywhere upwards. I don't think these states are going to miraculously open up and we're going to have freedom again. I think it's going to be, it's going to continue to happen. If we see that there are portions of Source's mind that wish to control other portions of Source's mind, if we're looking at that in a micro level and we're pulling back, could there actually be some sort of issue within Source's mind? Because if we look at a human brain, if a portion of the brain is not functioning well, and it, it, it maybe it corrupts other portions. Is human behavior that wishes to control others is that considered to be like you know a terrible uh, disease type behavior within the mind of source, or is that just fine? That doesn't matter whether the humans are you know collaborating or whether they're trying to control each other. Okay. Portions of Source's mind cannot control other portions of Source's mind. One mind, one self-awareness, one consciousness in harmony. What you see among humans has nothing to do with Source. Human animals act like human animals. You know, it's just like, you know, out in the wild of, of Africa, you know, antelopes will be eaten by lions and you know there's predator and prey that's the animal world of earth that's the biology of earth it has nothing to do 
with source's mind or what source wants. Source does not control animal behavior. And, you know, you, you can't project this animal-type thinking, animal-type behavior onto source and say it's a disease within source's mind. It's not even a disease within humans' minds. You know, acting like an animal is what humans do. I mean, that's just the way they are. That's the way they're built. That's the way their biology runs. It's not abnormal. Now, what causes problems is that humans are herd animals and they want to form societies. They want to form herds. And in order to get along with each other in those herds, in those societies, they have to adopt rules of behavior. And that's why, like in modern societies, you know, we have, like in the U.S., we have elected officials. And, you know, people, politicians are elected by certain groups of people, and those politicians all meet together. And they come up with the rules of behavior for that society. And that's to make the herd life go more smoothly that's a feature of living in a herd of living in a society uh if you want to be left alone then don't be in a society and i'm all with you with with, you know not having people hurt me i i feel like my life is threatened every single day but having having the freedom to having the freedom to live does not if you're if you live in a society does not mean you can do anything you want and you don't have to follow the rules because those rules are a social contract among all the people in society where everybody says this is how we're going to behave in order to get along and for everybody to be prosperous and happy and and to you know live life to the fullest if we're looking just at america there there's a ruling class, and there's, there's everyone else. And it seems the people who uh, rule over the others, you know, they don't go to jail when they commit crimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, and there's a, they, they, they're, sub, they're kind of, they don't deal with the same types of things that other people do. So, I, I mean, at least in the U.S., it, it seems like it's crazy how many laws there are. I, I understand that, you know, if you wouldn't want to harm someone, I understand if, if people just didn't harm anyone, I think that'd be like one rule everyone could follow. It's simple. Just, don't harm anyone. Don't do not harm another human being. But there's all these other laws that are out there. So, if a society devolves and becomes more tyrannical, I wonder, from an animalistic perspective, looking at humans in animal form, why does that happen, and why would certain societies decide to become freedom-based where they don't have tyranny? Is this is this something that we, we, you just have to deal with as you're a human? To say that if you come and you're incarnated as a human being, as a human, as an animal, you will either experience, you will experience freedom, you will experience tyranny. It, it it's all depends on where the herd goes. I don't know. I didn't get any information on okay. that in the afterlife. But in terms of, like we just said, if if society could have only one law, which is don't hurt anyone. That flies in the face of animal behavior because in the animal world, there's predator and prey. There are humans who are predators. There are humans who are prey. 
So it's not really going to work to say, just don't hurt anyone. The other problem with that is everybody has their own idea of what hurting someone else looks like, you know, and they're, they've got the competing interests of their, their self. Like, you know, for example, you know, one of the things that's a bugaboo for me is, you know, there are people who want the freedom to not wear a face mask in the middle of a pandemic because they don't want to be uncomfortable. And they look at that as, you know, they, they don't want to hurt themselves. But all the other people out there who could get infected by them are looking at that as, well, you're hurting me because you're putting my life at risk. So people don't all have the same idea or beliefs about what don't hurt anyone looks like. Okay. And since you've been back and you said it took about seven years, how is life for you right now? What is it like to have this amazing experience where you know the truth, you, you know something that no one else, very few people know, you probably have the most unique experience, and now you're, you're back in the body. What does that feel like? How is life different for you? And how, how do you perceive reality now as a human? It's a daily struggle. 99% of the time, I'm just, you know, the same person I was before I died. You know, I'm, I'm the same old Nancy. But every day I cry. I watch the news. When I read something in my news app, when I see people mistreating one another, it, it hurts me. Because I know it doesn't have to go on. It doesn't have to be that way. And I know the only reason that it is is because the souls inside those humans are not awake. And they're not doing anything to become awake. And quite frankly, I learned in the afterlife that it, it doesn't matter. You know, the whole purpose of coming into human life is to live like a human animal. <laughs> There's no requirement that we become aware or awake. It's a choice. It's a choice if we want to wake up. It's a choice or, or it's an accident. Sometimes it's just a plain old accident that you, that you become aware. You know, some people have religious experiences that, you know, light up their, their minds and hearts, and they didn't plan that. And other people have near-death experiences that, you know, make them aware, and they didn't plan that either. Well, so can people kind of like sell source on the idea and peak sources creativity? about something that can happen in reality? Because I, I think it would be another thing that would be kind of fun for Source to witness is to witness all these humans kind of treating each other bad and then have something like metaphysically magical appear and just knock them, knock them all down. I mean, can, we, can, can humans, if they decide to come up with an idea, can they sell Source on an idea or uh, something that will pique Source's curiosity and, and that, that could act ultimately lead to a, a massive change in the world? Your question assumes that source is something different from us. It's not. So there's nobody out there to convince. There's nobody out there to entice into changing things. And source doesn't control what goes on in the universe. We souls inside humans are source. We control our own lives. If enough of us on an individual soul basis, 
decided we're going to change this world. We can do it together. Do people have spirit guides? Because this I hear this idea all the time that people have spirit guides. You have four or five different guides that are with you, and you said that you know when you, you died that you you experienced uh, beings that were with you. So do, do human beings carry with them guides or angels that are kind of helping them uh, guide through life? I was told in the afterlife that that does not happen. There are no angels. There are no spirit guides. Uh, and in fact, when I mean, I was in the afterlife so long, I went through various stages of eternal life. Like, you know, there are stages of human life, adolescent, you know, or childhood, adolescent, adult. I went through stages like that in the afterlife. And I discovered as I went from one stage to the next, that, what I understood about eternal life and about source and about myself when I was in the, the stage from which we incarnate was just flat wrong. I mean, the people in, in the afterlife, the, the ones that mediums and, and the, the ones that are supposed to be guides, and they don't know what's going on. They don't have the full picture of what eternal life is like. They can't give you the truth because they don't know it. Now, they do have access, immediate access to universal knowledge, but they don't understand it. And in fact, the people in the afterlife, you know, our loved, deceased loved ones, they still think that they're separate from source. So they're kept in, in this um, less knowledgeable state. And then as they progress through later stages, of eternal life, they become more enlightened. So you, you don't want to get your information from somebody in the afterlife, you know, somebody that you think is guiding you from the afterlife. They don't know. They don't, they're not going to give you the truth because they don't have it, you know. What you want to do if you really want the truth is go into that, you know, observer position in a meditative state that I was talking about and access sources knowledge directly yourself no intermediary wow. and is there any way to, to visually describe your transition into source and in all these different phases like you're out of your body you're going through a life review you're seeing all this stuff like can i ask just visually what is happening when you're going through these these phases like what what would what were you seeing around you like what, are there any colors any visualizations okay not Nothing. Once you transition, and I, was, I experienced this and I was also told this, once you transition out of thinking like a human, everything is, takes place in the mind. It's an intellectual life. It's a, a state of beingness. There's no sensory input at all. Now, the only time I saw um, you know, what, what would humans would call sensory input, you know, seeing things and hearing things and feeling things was when I was in the phase where I was able to merge my essence, my energy into the essence and energy of one or more of my light being friends. And then I could watch the physical lives that they had had. So that was like watching a movie, which did have sensory experience. But in terms of just living in, in, eternal life there there's no physical matter there's nothing to see or to hear just or to smell or anything else but like when you're there 
you know, those are all human human senses. Those human senses are gone. Yeah, but when you're when you're sourced, do you have like a, a? Are you aware of all the humans and all the life forms and what they're going through all at the same time, as source? I don't. I don't remember. I don't. I don't know whether I ever knew that. Nancy, I did something a little strange, which is probably not surprising to people out there. But I, I did this thing where, oh yeah, <laughs> or, or where I have meditated and I have sent love and information to myself in the past at a crucial moment in my life, and I, I kind of wonder. Cause I, I don't know, I felt like the need to do it, and I wonder because I, I, there were crucial times in my life where, for some reason, I was inspired, and I made a, a really good decision. So I'm, I, my belief was that okay, well, maybe that happened because I was setting myself love from the future at this point in time, and I do that because I want to set myself up in the present moment to receive information, and inspiration for myself in the future about doing certain things. Is that something that that makes sense, or is, it, is that because I fell and hit my head that that sounded like a good idea? Can you actually send yourself? wisdom, love, and guidance from the past that will directly impact the present moment or the future? Not that I know of. But I will tell you that you know, when you first started talking about sending love and information to yourself in the past, now that does occur and that has a lot of value. And what psychologists call it is inner child work. You know, you can heal the emotional wounds of the past by loving what they call the inner child. I would look at it kind of like you do, which is, you know, loving who you were in the past, you know, sending information and awareness and acceptance to who you were in the past, you know, the child that you were, the adolescent that you were, the young man that you were. And that can be very healing. I don't know anything about, the I just don't know if you can receive things in the future. Because I, this is kind of strange. Like I, I, tr I think I'm stuck in the uh, human thinking good deal of the time, and I, I and I think like human. I'm, I'm just wondering. Okay, is it logically possible, or is it possible to, to receive love from yourself in the from the future at, at crucial moments? And I, I always wonder where where inspiration comes from too. Like sometimes people will get a incredible surge of information or, or, or like they'll have this warm feeling around them and they'll just be inspired. And I wonder where that comes from. I wonder if that comes from themselves in the future or if that comes from a, a person who they loved that, that's passed on or something. I'm just, just curious. How the... I think it comes from people, you know, that love them that have passed on or they may, they may love them without ever having lived in an incarnated life with them before. But I think those, that's source loving you. That's source inspiring you. I don't think that's you sending yourself love in the future. I, I think it's all those who love you surround you all the time. It's just that we sometimes have these moments of grace where we can feel it. Well, I'm, I'm hard to love, so when I'm sending love to me in the past... Now, when I when I was sending nah, love to me in the past, I had true. to have a few beers first. I'm like, you know, I I, I have to lose. I have to lower my inhibitions before I send myself love to the past. And when I tell my wife these things too, she just she just shakes her head all the time. She's so tired of shaking her head. She's just like, all right, whatever. It's a little difficult. Nancy, what are some of the ways that people can help your mission and guide you or help you in any capacity in what you you are doing? 
That's an excellent question. Nobody's ever asked me for. Um, Open your minds. You know, open your minds to new ways of thinking. Don't be afraid. New information, new beliefs, new knowledge can't literally hurt you. It can blow your mind, which can be a very uncomfortable feeling for a while. But the consequences are just so much better than what we've got now. So just open your minds. Miss Nancy Dannison, I want to thank you so much once again for being with us. Again, this is Nancy's 11th appearance on the show. You can learn more about Nancy by going to her two different websites, backwardsbooks.com, nancydannison.com, n-a-n-c-i-dannison.com. And would you believe that if you go to Nancy's sites, she also does one-on-one coaching, and I highly recommend you do it. Nancy, thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan. Give my love to your family. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our unbelievable guest, and special thanks, as always, to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Constance Dallas, and our social producer, Jenny Lamisa. To learn more about the Out of Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outoflimitsradio.com. And till the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace. Love and beers. Take care and thank you so much for listening.